This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. I'm your host, Charlie McDermott. Welcome to episode number 536 of the Good Neighbor Podcast. And today it's the Everglades Foundation. We're with Eric Eichenberg. Eric, how you doing? I'm great, Charlie. Nice to be with you. Great to be with you. And again, you know, the good neighbor, there's so many different types of good neighbors, shapes and sizes. Can I can I categorize you under kind of water quality and, and helping to preserve what we, this paradise that we have here? Is that a good, good bucket to put you in? I think, uh, sure, that's a good bucket. We also have a conservation bucket, restoration. So uh, a couple buckets, but the Everglades is a great neighbor to all of us. So let's start with what is the Everglades, where are they located? I mean, let's let's just dumb it down here for everyone, and most importantly, myself, and then get into, uh, you know, what you're all about. Well, again, it's great to be with you here. Um, you know, the, the size, if folks are trying to get their head around what is the Everglades or what size geographically um, would could we compare it to? How about the state of New Jersey? Basically, the size of um, New Jersey there. I know there's some uh, listeners, I'm sure, who are from the Northeast. <laughs> Um, but it starts just south wow. of the Orlando airport, um, Shingle Creek, the headwaters of the Everglades, Shingle Creek heading south into the Kissimmee watershed, the Kissimmee chain of lakes, um, that beautiful meandering Kissimmee River that I might add, Charlie, has now been fully restored. Um, it took um, a couple, three decades to get us to that point, but just um, just this month we had the final ribbon cutting on the Kissimmee, but naturally before we developed Florida and before we now have what, 21 million people, the water would hit Lake Okeechobee and it would naturally flow over that Southern bank of the lake, the Southern border of Lake Okeechobee uh, through the river of grass, um, a massive amount of wetlands. And uh, ultimately it would, water would flow down to the end of the peninsula and the recipient, the beneficiary of all that water flow is Florida Bay and the Florida Keys. So um, over the decades, there's been a lot of changes to it. But if, again, you're looking at the geographical size of it, it's um, just south of Orlando, down to the Keys, the greater Everglades that um, is part of a massive ecosystem. So it, it obviously goes beyond the Everglades National Park. That's right. Uh, on the federal side, certainly Everglades National Park is the national park here in our own backyard. Uh, dedicated by President Truman in 1947. Uh, we also have the Big Cypress National Preserve. We, had, uh, we have Biscayne uh, National Park here on the East Coast, um, a number of national wildlife refuge, refuges. So um, the federal footprint or the federal lands uh, make up a good portion of that overall geography. But again, when you look at Lake Okeechobee, the Caloosahatchee River, the St. Lucie River, the uh, river of grass from the lake down to um, the park, uh, all of that is critically important. Um, and it's what we're focused on restoring. Wow. So Eric, why does the Everglades need to be restored? Well, that's a fundamental question to what we are, what we are about as an organization and what many Floridians have stepped up in a big way to, uh, to answer. Um, the th we are now the third largest state in the union. Um, the Everglades, we have to restore it because for one, it is the simple drinking water supply. It is the water supply for uh, nearly 9 million Floridians. 
let alone the hundreds of millions of um, or the or the millions, I should say, of tourists <laughs> that come to Florida on a annual basis. Um, but then also the um, impact it has on businesses, on real estate. Um, with a state that doesn't have an income tax, we rely upon sales tax. A lot is paid by tourists. We rely upon property tax, which is driven by high value real estate, real estate that is predominantly on the coast. So we have to re-engineer the way water flows on the Florida Peninsula. And that's the heart of Everglades restoration is redirecting the the way or the manner in which water flows on the peninsula. And when we get that right, and Charlie, I will submit to you that we are on a path to, to have restoration in our lifetime. It's for the future economic vi viability of this state. It's for the future of our businesses. It's the future for real estate. And bottom line, it's the future for our environment. Wow. I agree with with all that, obviously, but I guess the big question is, how are we restoring the Everglades? Sure, the it's a it is a um, it's a complex um, process in restoring the Everglades. We've been um, uh, agencies, government agencies, both at the federal and state level, have been undertaking this since the year two thousand, and and this is here's the magnitude of this. This is the largest restoration project in the history of the world restoring America's Everglades. Uh, we're now entering the third decade, uh, hopefully the last decade of restoration, because then we're going to have an opportunity here to switch to perpetual protection. You can't fight for all of this and have it saved or restored and then back away. You have to continue to, in, to, to, to ensure that future generations understand uh, what's at stake here. Um, but there's the, the plan is governed by science, uh, we, we as an organization have seven PhD scientists who are all experts in the various fields of the Everglades. So from the biology, the chemistry, the hydrology, um, but a plan that's rooted in science. And we take that science plan and you have to work uh, the levels of government at the federal and state level. It takes money to build these massive infrastructure projects. And again, bottom line is to re-engineer the way, to, the way water flows on the Florida Peninsula. Wow. Now, you may have already answered this question, but just to drill down a little bit for our local listeners in Southwest Florida, you know, why is it that restoring the Everglades is important to the folks in the Naples, Fort Myers area? Now, how does it impact us? Well, it impacts you um, on a number of ways. First, the most visible is when we have these lake discharges, when Lake Okeechobee is dumped to the west down the Caloosahatchee and billions of gallons of polluted water are, uh, are dumped and come out at Sanibel, Fort Myers, Cape Coral. Uh, we have seen in years past where that polluted water heads south. Um, at times it connects with red tide mm -hmm. and you see an exasperation of algae uh, along the southwest coast of Florida. And those man-made um, issues, the man-made problems and uh, challenges that we have with Lake Okeechobee um, just add fuel to the fire um, as it pertains to red tide. Um, that is a direct impact on businesses. It's a threat to human health. It, it certainly our, our fisheries and our beaches are impacted. So by taking Lake Okeechobee water, storing it in a major above ground reservoir south of the lake, cleaning that polluted water and moving it underneath of I-75 Alligator Alley, under the new bridges along US 41 Tamimi Trail, and that water now entering the park and down to the Florida Keys, 
that redirects water away from the southwest coast when we don't want it and ensures that it moves um, to the south where we need. You also have um, areas like the Picayune Strand, which uh, is in eastern Collier County, a, a old development project that went belly up, thank goodness. And uh, the Army Corps of Engineers with the South Florida Water Management District have been restoring the Picayune Strand to deliver uh, a tremendous amount of fresh water flowing south into eastern Collier County down to the 10,000 islands. That's recharging that habitat. It's recharging that fishery. It's, uh, it's certainly having a tremendous impact on the, uh, on the environment and the way of life in, uh, in southwest Florida. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you know, having uh, been on Fort Myers Beach during that massive red tide uh, situation a couple of years ago, it was just amazing. Yeah, I, cool. I, I mean, I, I, the, between the air quality, uh, the amount of dead fish everywhere, I've never seen anything like it. It was just a, a war zone of dead fish. It was, uh, you know, certainly something none of us ever want to see again. And from the impact on the economy was absolutely devastating. It was a ghost town here. No, it, it's true. And there was a recent study that was released by the University of Florida that um, uh, surveyed Airbnb and hotel uh, hotelers, uh, hoteliers who who have who have witnessed the number of cancellations, mm. the drop in the per night rate, um, as a correlation to red tide, the blue green algae that is dumped again east and west, but primarily on the west coast. And I think that that type of economic data um, really ignites a whole nother group of voices, um, you know, who again rely upon tourists to come to sure. Southwest Florida. And if you're sitting in Indiana, Georgia, um, Missouri, wherever, and you you hear about algae in Florida, not many times are you trying to see it isolated. But you think, oh my, the state's having some difficult. Yeah. That's the last thing we want. Thankfully, Everglades restoration is is solving that problem. Yeah. So what about the future? I mean, what if uh, this is not fully restored? What happens? Well, if it's not, we continue with what's plagued us now for the last number of summers. Uh, it started, uh, quite frankly, in the year 2013 when they when they labeled that summer the lost summer due to toxic water uh, going to the coastal communities. We saw it again in 16, in 18, 20. We had it again this summer in 2021, where Lake Okeechobee has 90% of it covered in cyanobacteria, bacteria, cyanobacteria algae. And when the lake rises at the moment, the only option is to open the gates on the east and west and all that polluted water gets dumped. So if we don't do this, we're going to continue to see those uh, events happen more frequently. Um, our communities are not going to have time to recover and it's going to be a direct impact to our economic well-being here in the state of Florida. So that's why the governor has made this a top priority of his administration. Governor DeSantis on day two outlined or he unveiled a clear, bold executive order. Um, the highlight of that was a commitment of $2.5 billion in state investment to go towards the environment, to go towards Everglades restoration. And he and the Florida legislature have kept that commitment. So we're making great progress at the state level. Washington is coming along. We're hopeful that we'll see some significant funding out of D.C. here in the coming months. 
And by doing that, you can have these projects accelerated, these above ground reservoirs. Those that have time, uh, head out, head along the Caloosahatchee, and you'll see a massive reservoir being built uh, mm -hmm. as you head towards Lake Okeechobee. We were just last week with Senator Rubio in Martin County uh, observing this C-44 reservoir on the East Coast that's now completed. And then again, the Army Corps in the state of Florida committed to building a massive reservoir to the south. All of this in infrastructure is going to uh, re-engineer the way water flows. That's the ticket. We just need to keep uh, keep focused and, and, and plow yeah. forward. Well, that's great to hear that so much progress has been made and continues to be made. You know, so, Eric, how about, you know, how is the Evergrades Foundation science team contributing to the solutions? Well, uh, that's I just before joining you here um, today, our science team has been um, doing a number of modeling. This is um, this is uh, quite technical on the hydrological side, but um, the Army Corps of Engineers is going through a process as we speak together today of um, reshaping the way Lake Okeechobee will be managed over the next 10 years. And this takes into account a lake that's going to distribute water more equitably before all this infrastructure that I just pointed out is finished. So the Caloosahatchee on the West Coast, Southwest Florida should not receive the brunt of all of this polluted water. Um, the Caloosahatchee needs a certain amount of lake water during the course of the year to keep that estuary brackish, to keep the balance between salt water and fresh water. The east coast of Florida doesn't want a certain amount of this water during the period of the year. Yet the Everglades is desperate for this fresh water from Lake Okeechobee. Wow. And wow. Just, just this April, we had fires burning in the Everglades because there's not enough water. It was dry as a bone, not enough water flowing hmm. south. So our scientists, our hydrologists are running models, working with the West Coast, the East Coast, with the folks down in the Florida Keys. Let's have an equitable distribution. This is what the governor is asking for. And let's distribute the water properly during a 365-day time period, not half a year or when it's raining, when you see all this massive discharge going east and west. So stay tuned on that, Charlie. That decision will be coming out in the middle of October. But we wow. see great progress. Our team has been at the, the tip of the spear on this uh, effort, and we're very proud of our scientists. Wow. Wow. That is terrific, terrific news. So how about reaching the next generations? You know, what, what are you doing to ensure that you protect this important ecosystem? Critical question. We started six years ago when we unveiled a Everglades literacy program, K through 12. It started at Lake Park Elementary in Naples, Florida, in Collier County. Um, Christopher Marker, the principal there at Lake Park, uh, when he heard about it, he said, we want to be the guinea pig. We want to be the test pilot. And uh, he and his team there, his administrators, his teachers, uh, started on the road with us for a curriculum. We're now in 24 school districts across Florida and growing. And wow. what this is, this is a curriculum that was designed by teachers for teachers. And it is free to any teacher in this state. It's aligned to all of the standards in Florida. And the whole point, Charlie, is when a child graduates from a public, private, charter, parochial, whatever type of school that they attend, that student is Everglades literate. They understand why the Everglades is so important to the state of Florida, why they should be engaged in the policy issues, why they should understand the hydrology and the 20, uh, the, the 77 
endangered and threatened species that call the Everglades home. So all of this is leading us to pass this off to the next generation. Uh, we're very proud of this program. And any school teacher that's listening to my words here today, if you're interested, evergladesliteracy.org is our website. Uh, feel free to go there, join one of our uh, teacher development training sessions, and um, let's continue to educate our kids on America's Everglades. Wow. Well, Eric, this has uh, been an eye-opener to say the least. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've heard a lot over the years, and, and most of what I heard, it didn't sound like we were making a whole lot of progress, a lot, lot of great intentions. And uh, I know this has been not only valuable for me, but for our listeners to, to you know, get the inside scoop on what's been happening and what's yet to come. So congratulations on all your efforts and your team there. Well, thank you, Charlie. Thank you again for having me. Evergladesfoundation.org is our website. We have all the latest information there for anyone who's interested. Um, but when I get up in the morning, the whole the, the, we, we operate with a sense of immediacy. We have to do this. We, we need to ensure this generation saves what we have and we pass this national treasure on to our kids and grandkids. We are very optimistic we're going to do that. Mark, thank you again for everything you're doing there. Thank you, Charlie. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast. To nominate your favorite local business to be featured on the show, go to goodneighborpodcast.com. That's goodneighborpodcast.com. Or call us at 239-224-4105.